Section 4 of Essays, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. Essays, Book 3 by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton. Of Repentance. The true condemnation, and which touches the common practice of men, is that their very retirement itself is full of filth and corruption. The idea of their reformation composed, their repentance sick and faulty, very nearly as much as their sin, some either from having been linked to vice by a natural propension or long practice, cannot see its deformity. Others, of which constitution I am, do indeed feel the weight of vice, but they counterbalance it with pleasure, or some other occasion, and suffer and lend themselves to it for a certain price, but viciously and basely. Yet there might haply be imagined so vast a disproportion of measure, wherewith justice the pleasure might excuse the sin, as we say of utility, not only if accidental and out of sin, as in thefts, but in the very exercise of sin, or in the enjoyment of women, where the temptation is violent, and tis said sometimes not to be overcome. Being the other day at Armagnac on the estate of a kinsman of mine, I there saw a peasant who was by every one nicknamed the thief, he thus related the story of his life, that being born a beggar and finding that he should not be able, so as to be clear of indigence, to get his living by the sweat of his brow, he resolved to turn thief, and by means of his strength of body had exercised this trade all the time of his youth in great security, for he ever made his harvest and vintage in other men's grounds, but a great way off and in so great quantities that it was not to be imagined one man could have carried away so much in one night upon his shoulders. And, moreover, he was careful equally to divide and distribute the mischief he did, that the loss was of less importance to every particular man. He is now grown old and rich for a man of his condition, thanks to his trade, which he openly confesses to everyone. And to make his peace with God, he says that he is daily ready by good offices to make satisfaction to the successors of those he has robbed. And if he do not finish, for to do it all at once he is not able, he will then leave it in charge to his heirs to perform the rest, proportionally to the wrong he himself only knows he has done to each. By this description, true or false, this man looks upon theft as a dishonest action, and hates it, but less than poverty, and simply repents. But to the extent he has thus recompensed, he repents not. This is not that habit which incorporates us in device, and conforms even our understanding itself to it. Nor is it that impetuous whirlwind that by gusts troubles and blinds our souls, 
and for the time precipitates us, judgment and all, into the power of vice. I customarily do what I do thoroughly and make but one step on it. I have rarely any movement that hides itself and steals away from my reason, and that does not proceed in the matter by the consent of all my faculties, without division or intestine sedition. My judgment is to have all the blame or all the praise, and the blame it once has, it has always, for almost from my infancy it has never been one, the same inclination, the same turn, the same force. And as to universal opinions, I fixed myself from my childhood in the place where I resolved to stick. There are some sins that are impetuous, prompt, and sudden. Let us set them aside. But in these other sins, so often repeated, deliberated, and contrived, whether sins of complexion or sins of profession and vocation, I cannot conceive that they should have so long been settled in the same resolution, unless the same reason and conscience of him who has them be constant to have them and the repentance he boasts to be inspired with on a sudden is very hard for me to imagine or form. I follow not the opinion of the Pythagorean sect, that men take up a new soul when they repair to the images of the gods to receive their oracles, unless he mean that it must needs be extrinsic, new, and lent for the time our own showing so little sign of purification and cleanness fit for such an office. They act quite contrary to the stoical precepts, which do indeed command us to correct the imperfections and vices we know ourselves guilty of, but forbid us therefore to disturb the repose of our souls. These make us believe that they have great grief and remorse within, but of amendment, correction, or interruption, they make nothing appear. It cannot be a cure if the malady be not wholly discharged. If repentance were laid upon the scale of the balance, it would weigh down sin. I find no quality so easy to counterfeit as devotion, if men do not conform their manners and life to the profession. Its essence is abstruse and occult, the appearance easy and ostentatious. For my own part, I may desire in general to be other than I am. I may condemn and dislike my whole form, and beg of Almighty God for an entire reformation, and that he will please to pardon my natural infirmity. But I ought not to call this repentance, methinks, no more than the being dissatisfied that I am not an angel or Cato. My actions are regular and conformable to what I am and to my condition. I can do no better. And repentance does not properly touch things that are not in our power. Sorrow does. I imagine an infinite number of natures more elevated and regular than mine, and yet I do not for all that improve my faculties, no more than my arm or will grow more strong and vigorous for conceiving those of another to be so. 
If to conceive and wish a nobler way of acting than what we have should produce a repentance of our own, we must then repent us of our most innocent actions, forasmuch as we may well suppose that in a more excellent nature they would have been carried on with greater dignity and perfection. And we would that ours were so. When I reflect upon the deportment of my youth, with that of my old age, I find that I have commonly behaved myself with equal order in both, according to what I understand. That is all that my resistance can do. I do not flatter myself. In the same circumstances, I should do the same things. It is not a patch, but rather a universal tincture with which I am stained. I know no repentance, superficial, halfway, and ceremonious. It must sting me all over before I can call it so, and must prick my bowels as deeply and universally as God sees into me. As to business, many excellent opportunities have escaped me for want of good management, and yet my deliberations were sound enough, according to the occurrences presented to me. Tis their way to choose always the easiest and safest course. I find that in my former resolves I have proceeded with discretion, according to my own rule, and according to the state of the subject proposed, and should do the same a thousand years hence in like occasions. I do not consider what is now, but what it was then, when I deliberated on it. The force of all counsel consists in the time, occasions and things eternally shift and change. I have in my life committed some important errors, not for want of good understanding, but for want of good luck. There are secret and not-to-be-foreseen parts in matters we have in hand, especially in the nature of men, mute conditions that make no show, unknown sometimes even to the possessors themselves, that spring and start up by incidental occasions if my prudence could not penetrate into nor foresee them, I blame it not. Tis commissioned no further than its own limits. If the event be too hard for me, and take the side I have refused, there is no remedy. I do not blame myself, I accuse my fortune, and not my work. This cannot be called repentance. Phocion Having given the Athenians an advice that was not followed, and the affair nevertheless succeeding contrary to his opinion, some one said to him, Well, Phocion, art thou content that matters go so well? I am very well content, replied he, that this has happened so well, but I do not repent that I counseled the other. When any of my friends address themselves to me for advice, I give it candidly and clearly, without sticking, as almost all other men do, at the hazard of the things falling out contrary to my opinion, and that I may be reproached for my counsel. I'm very indifferent as to that, for the fault will be theirs for having consulted me, and I could not refuse them that office. I, for my own part, can rarely blame any one but myself for my oversights and misfortunes, for, indeed, I seldom solicit the advice of another. 
if not by honor of ceremony, or accepting where I stand in need of information, special science, or as to matter of fact, but in things wherein I stand in need of nothing but judgment, other men's reasons may serve to fortify my own, but have little power to dissuade me. I hear them all with civility and patience, but to my recollection I never made use of any but my own. With me they are but flies and atoms that confound and distract my will. I lay no great stress upon my opinion, but I lay as little upon those of others, and fortune rewards me accordingly. If I receive but little advice, I also give but little. I am seldom consulted, and still more seldom believed, and know no concern, either public or private, that has been mended or bettered by my advice. Even they whom fortune had in some sort tied to my direction, have more willingly suffered themselves to be governed by any other counsels than mine. And as a man who am as jealous of my repose as of my authority, I am better pleased that it should be so. In leaving me there, they humor what I profess, which is to settle and wholly contain myself within myself. I take a pleasure in being uninterested in other men's affairs, and disengaged from being their warranty and responsible for what they do. In all affairs that are past, be it how it will, I have very little regret, for this imagination puts me out of my pain, that they were so to fall out they were in the great revolution of the world and in the chain of stoical causes your fancy cannot, by wish and imagination, move one title, but that the great current of things will not reverse both the past and the future. As to the rest, I abominate that incidental repentance which old age brings along with it. He who said of old, that he was obliged to his age for having weaned him from pleasure, was of another opinion than I am. I can never think of myself beholden to impotency for any good it can do to me. Nectam aversa umquam videbitur ab opere suo providentia, ut debilitas inter optima inventa sit. Nor can providence ever seem so averse to her own work, that debility should be found to be amongst the best things. Quintilian, Institutiones Oratoriae, 5.12. Our appetites are rare in old age. A profound satiety seizes us after the act. In this I see nothing of conscience. Chagrin and weakness imprint in us a drowsy and rheumatic virtue. We must not suffer ourselves to be so wholly carried away by natural alterations as to suffer our judgments to be imposed upon by them. Youth and pleasure have not formally so far prevailed with me that I did not well enough discern the face of vice in pleasure. Neither does the distaste that years have brought me so far prevail with me now that I cannot discern pleasure in vice. 
Now that I am no more in my flourishing age, I judge as well of these things as if I were. I, who narrowly and strictly examine it, find my reason the very same it was in my most licentious age, except perhaps that tis weaker and more decayed by being grown older. And I find that the pleasure it refuses me upon the account of my bodily health, it would no more refuse now in consideration of the health of my soul than at any time heretofore. I do not repute it the more valiant for not being able to combat. Holding but out my hands, I repel them. Should one present the old concupiscence before it, I fear it would have less power to resist it than heretofore. I do not discern that in itself it judges anything otherwise now than it formerly did, nor that it has acquired any new light. Wherefore, if there be convalescence, tis an enchanted one. Miserable kind of remedy to owe one's health to one's disease. Tis not that our misfortune should perform this office, but the good fortune of our judgment. I am not to be made to do anything by persecutions and afflictions, but to curse them. That is, for people who cannot be roused but by a whip, my reason is much more free in prosperity, and much more distracted, and put to it to digest pains than pleasures. I see best in a clear sky. Health admonishes me more cheerfully, and to better purpose than sickness. I did all that in me lay to reform and regulate myself from pleasures, at a time when I had health and vigor to enjoy them. I should be ashamed and envious that the misery and misfortune of my old age should have credit over my good, healthful, sprightly, and vigorous years, and that men should estimate me not by what I have been, but by what I have ceased to be. In my opinion, tis the happy living, and not, as Antisthenes said, the happy dying, in which human felicity consists. I have not made it my business to make a monstrous addition of a philosopher's tale to the head and body of a lifetime, nor would I have this wretched remainder give the lie to the pleasant, sound, and long part of my life. I would present myself uniformly throughout. Were I to live my life over again, I should live it just as I have lived it. I neither complain of the past, nor do I fear the future. And if I am not much deceived, I am the same within that I am without. Tis one main obligation I have to my fortune, that the succession of my bodily estate has been carried on according to the natural seasons. I have seen the grass, the blossom, and the fruit, and now see the withering. Happily, however, because naturally, I bear the infirmities I have the better, because they came not till I had reason to expect them, and because also they make me with greater pleasure remember that long felicity of my past life. 
My wisdom may have been just the same in both ages, but it was more active and of better grace, whilst young and sprightly, than now it is when broken, peevish, and uneasy. I repudiate, then, these casual and painful reformations. God must touch our hearts. Our consciences must amend of themselves by the aid of our reason, and not by the decay of our appetites. Pleasure is, in itself, neither pale nor discolored, to be discerned by dim and decayed eyes. We ought to love temperance for itself, and because God has commanded that, and chastity, and that which we are reduced to by catars, and for which I am indebted to the stone, is neither chastity nor temperance. A man cannot boast that he despises and resists pleasure if he cannot see it, if he knows not what it is and cannot discern its graces, its force, and most alluring beauties. I know both the one and the other, and may therefore the better say it. But, methinks, our souls in old age are subject to more troublesome maladies and imperfections than in youth. I said the same when young, and when I was reproached with the want of a beard, and I say so now that my gray hairs give me some authority. We call the difficulty of our humors and the disrelish of present things wisdom, but in truth we do not so much forsake vices as we change them, and in my opinion for worse. Besides a foolish and feeble pride and impertinent prating, frowned and insociable humors, superstition, and a ridiculous desire of riches when we have lost the use of them, I find there more envy, injustice, and malice. Age imprints more wrinkles in the mind than it does on the face, and souls are never or very rarely seen that, in growing old, do not smell sour and musty. Man moves altogether, both towards his perfection and decay. In observing the wisdom of Socrates and many circumstances of his condemnation, I should dare to believe that he in some sort himself purposely, by collusion, contributed to it, seeing that at the age of seventy years he might fear to suffer the lofty motions of his mind to be cramped and his wanted luster obscured. What strange metamorphoses do I see age every day make in many of my acquaintance? Tis a potent malady, and that naturally and imperceptibly steals into us. A vast provision of study and great precaution are required to evade the imperfections it loads us with, or at least to weaken their progress. I find that Notwithstanding all my entrenchments, it gets foot by foot upon me. I make the best resistance I can, but I do not know to what at last it will reduce me. But fall out what will, I am content the world may know when I am fallen from what I fell. End of section 4. Reading by Malone.